1: John wanted his readers to know desperately that he wasn't making this up, that this wasn't a fairy tale, this wasn't conjecture, this was truth. He and the others were eyewitnesses to the truth. The truth that preexisted before time. The truth that was with God in the beginning. The truth that came from God. The truth that was God, the person, Jesus Christ. He wanted his readers to know that Jesus is real.
0: There's no greater joy than knowing Jesus intimately. God's Word is the only source of complete truth about Him, and Pastor Dave wants you to know how important it is today to spend time in it daily. John knew the importance of it, too, and it's a message you'll hear repeated again and again in the book of 1 John. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Enemy Within.
1: studies in the book of first john lessons from the book of first john is what i call this series we are looking at verses 5 through 10 in chapter 1 so hopefully you have that so i would like to read aloud 1 john 1 verses 5 through 10 if you would please read along silently first john 1 verse 5 this is the message which we have heard from him If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So I have a question for you today. My question is, have you ever read a passage in the Bible and felt uncomfortable? Have you ever read a passage in the Bible and went, oh, me oh. oh, oh, oh. Like, can we skip to something else? Where's that love chapter? Well, if you haven't, buckle up because you might hear one today. You might hear something that's going to make you uncomfortable today. Don't kill the messenger, okay? Don't kill the messenger, right? So as we studied through the gospel of John, John told us that Jesus is the Son of God. And this is why he wrote the gospel, so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we would have life in his name and life everlasting. He told us that Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus came to earth as a man, God, and dwelt among us there has never been a greater impact in the history of mankind than Jesus coming to earth, God as a man. It's been asked many times, you might even have asked the question at time to time, why did Jesus come? What was his purpose for coming? Why would Jesus, of all things, why would God leave his exalted position in heaven, his position of glory, and come to earth, where he would be despised and be rejected by the exact people he would come to. Why would he put himself through that? Well, if you remember, as we studied John's gospel, we read that the reason that Jesus came was to reveal the Father to us. He wanted to reveal the Father to us, and he came to bring us life. He came to bring us life. Jesus came to give us life, and that life is more abundantly This is a life that is real, a life that is real in truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. It is a life that is free, it is a life that is exciting, and it's based on the knowledge of solid facts. It is a life based on truth. Jesus declared in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And Jesus declares in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the truth. And the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So as we began our study in this book, this first epistle of John, and as John is writing to believers, keep that in your mind. He desperately desires that all his spiritual children enjoy the same fellowship that he enjoyed as he followed Christ. He wants us to enjoy that fellowship as well. He came to the realization that Jesus is the God of light. Jesus is the God of all love. And Jesus is the God of all life. So he invites his readers to fellowship with him. Because he's fellowshipping with the Lord Jesus Christ. He invites us who will read through this book to also fellowship one to another as we fellowship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, John wanted his readers to know desperately that He wasn't making this up, that this wasn't a fairy tale. This wasn't conjecture. This was truth. He and the others were eyewitnesses to the truth. The truth that preexisted before time. The truth that was with God in the beginning. The truth that came from God. The truth that was God, the person, Jesus Christ. He wanted his readers to know that Jesus is real. And John says, they saw him. They heard him speak. They looked upon him, and they touched his flesh. One of John's buddies, probably one of his best buddies, the Apostle Peter, backs John up in his epistle. In his second epistle, he backs up these words of the Apostle John when he says this in 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter is basically supporting what John is saying here. He's supporting all that John is saying. So all these men who follow Jesus Christ would eventually die for their faith. They would eventually die not giving up their faith. And Peter says, This wasn't some clever game. This wasn't some clever hoax that we made up. We were there. We saw him. But John says that the real life must involve elements of personality. This contradicts what people think today. This really contradicts because most people's personalities are controlled by something that is not real. Something that is not meaningful. Most people's personalities today are controlled by the world. The world tells us what to think. The world tells us how to act. The world tells us how we're supposed to speak. What words we're supposed to say. I mean, every year they come out with a word that you're not supposed to say anymore. Don't say this anymore. Jesus told us we're not of this world. We're not of this world. We're just passing through. We've been born again. We've been born of God. And when a person is born of God through faith in Jesus Christ, God's spirit comes into their life and dwells with them forever forever we have the spirit dwelling and as we fellowship with God by reading his word by gathering together in one accord by studying his word by praying by the submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit then the Holy Spirit is able to basically control our hearts and our minds with thoughts of God as we're fellowshipping with God the Holy Spirit pours out upon our hearts God and he leads us into all truth we Look at his never-ending mercy. We look at his grace. We look at all these things that are abounding towards us. A spirit-controlled mind knows and understands truth. For the spirit leads us into all truth. A spirit-controlled heart feels love, love unconditional, and shares that love. Shares that love. This is what John is telling us. A spirit-controlled will is obedient to the word of God by obeying God's commands. John tells us this is the life that is real. It was a life revealed to him and the other disciples by Jesus Christ. It was a life that they experienced as they trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. It was a life they shared, not only one to another, but to others who they came in contact with. And he's telling us even today, it's a life that we too can experience. It's a life that is offered to all, a real life, a true life. You can have this life, a life filled with joy, joy inexpressible, a true and meaningful joy, not dependent on my circumstances, but dependent upon the truth, the truth found only in Jesus Christ. This is the real life. And this is the life that John wants his readers to know that they can have by fellowshipping with Jesus Christ. But like other forms of life, this life, this real life has an enemy. The enemy of the real life is sin. Yeah, I said the S word, sin. It's the enemy within. It's our old sinful nature. It's the old man, Paul says. The life that once controlled us. The life that kept us in bondage. In fact, in the battle against sin, we were POWs. We were prisoners of war because that Sin kept us in bondage. It kept us controlled. It kept us in slavery. But when we received the new nature in Jesus Christ, we became born again in the Spirit. We were set free from sin and death. We were given our freedom. But the old nature, the old man, was not eliminated. And thus the old nature continues to fight constantly against our new nature. There's a constant battle going on. The spirit fighting against the flesh. And Paul tells us that they are at enmity one another. They are constant battling, constantly warring against each other. And no amount of self-discipline, no set of man-made rules and regulations can control the old nature. That was tried. It was called the law. That was tried already. Only and solely by the power given to us through the Holy Spirit can we put to death the old man and produce spiritual fruit. This old nature, this sin nature, is the enemy of the real life. It is the enemy of the real life. And, you know, many of you know, one of my favorite authors is Warren Wiersbe. And I guess my most favorite quote from him is a quote that I've used before, quote, The Christian life is not a playground. The Christian life is a battlefield. Unquote. Why? Because the Christian is constantly at battle against the enemy of sin. Paul describes this battle in Romans 6, if you've read it before. Paul describes this battle. I'll paraphrase. Paul says, I can't do the things I want to do. The things I don't want to do, I do all the time. This is the battle that is raging in us. It's a war. It's a battle for control. And in these verses, John is going to illustrate this theme by contrasting light and darkness. God being light, sin being darkness. He also uses another contrast, the contrast between saying and doing. In other words, walking and talking. He's going to use this also. Why? Because the Christian life has been likened to a walk. It begins with a step of faith when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. But this is only the beginning of our spiritual life. See, walking involves progress, it involves moving forward unless you're on a treadmill. Walking involves moving, getting from point A to point B. When we walk, we make progress. Christians are supposed to advance in their spiritual walk. They're supposed to become mature in their walk with the Lord. We cannot remain stagnant, and we certainly cannot go backwards. We must ever go forward. We must ever advance, like an army trying to take ground. An army wants to advance and secure ground. If they become stagnant or go backwards, they can give up valuable ground to the enemy. And no army wants to give up valuable ground once they have claimed it. The main problem we encounter in our advancement in real life, sin. And sin is not merely an outward disobedience. No, sin is a matter of inner rebellion, of inner desire. Sin is the enemy from within. There was this angry church member who yelled at the pastor, why do you keep Christians about sin? After all, the sin in the life of a Christian is different from the sin in the life of an unbeliever. pastor thought about it and said, you're right. Sin in the Christian life is different. Sin in the Christian life is much worse. So John tells us that in order to enjoy the real life that he's trying to perform, we must deal with sin. Now, you're probably sitting here thinking, come on, Dave, I've been saved for a while. I know that Jesus took away my sins on the cross. I know that I've been forgiven. You are 100% correct, my friend. On the cross, Jesus' blood washed away the sin, past, present, and future. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is speaking to believers here. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to us, and he's mentioning sin. Sin has a way of creeping back into our lives, and it wreaks havoc once it gets back there. Sin hinders our fellowship with God. Sin keeps us from living the real life. Sin in our lives can make our walk not match our talk. Remember, I said you might be uncomfortable today. Well, this is what John is doing. John is going to take a huge mirror, and he's going to hold it up. And he's going to say, look into the mirror. Look into the mirror. Look carefully at yourself. Evaluate yourself. Evaluate your lifestyle. Evaluate what you say. Does it match your walk? Does it match who you are in Christ? Yeah, a great big mirror. And some of us looking in the mirror are going to squirm as we evaluate He's going to tell us that if we find something wrong, we need to get rid of it by confessing it. We need to get it out of here and we need to allow ourselves to be continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what John is going to tell us today. And he says in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. The main message now coming forward that will bring you into fellowship with God, the main message that the disciples had heard from Jesus from the beginning. John says, this is the message. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. The idea here is simple. God is entirely goodness. He is entirely truth. In him is no evil nor falsehood. There is nothing evil nor false about God. Interesting. God is light. Somebody tell me the first words God spoke in the Bible. God didn't speak that. What was the first word God spoke in the Bible? Let there, Let there be light. Let there be light. God saw the light, and what did he say about the light? It was good. He said the light was good. And he divided the light from what? The darkness. Darkness. Remember when we studied the book of John? Oh, how much fun we had. John declares this in verses 4 or 5 of chapter 1. In him, talking about Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. When we are saved, the apostle Peter tells us that we were called out of darkness into what? His marvelous light. His marvelous light. Paul also declares what Jesus declared to us. We are children of light. But then in Ephesians 5 verses 8 to 13, it tells us when the light shines on us, it reveals our true nature. So the mirror comes up and the light shining out on you reveals your true nature. As you look into the mirror, you see your true nature. God is light. And without out any darkness nor shadow the mirror looking at you exposing darkness within living a life that is real is living in the light why how many of you garden what are you hoping when you plant your flowers for cloudy days right no you're looking for light right you've been through high school photosynthesis and the light and all that stuff why because light produces what Life. Light produces life. Yes, light produces life. It also produces growth, and it also produces beauty. Darkness, on the other hand, is sin. Darkness cannot exist in light in the same place. Darkness cannot have fellowship with the light. John says you cannot cover your sin, although we try. The light is going to expose it. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. And I'll tell you what, for the first chapter, John's saying, hey, come here, I have this baseball bat I want to hit you with. I want to knock some sense into you. I have this baseball bat that I want to hit, and I want to put Louisville Slugger right across your forehead as I hit you. But John has given us the application here. When we're walking in the light, darkness goes away. If we're holding on to sin, we lose sight of the light. We're surrounded by darkness, and we're not practicing truth. We're not being real. We're not being who we are in Christ. Since light and darkness cannot exist in the same place, there's no gray area. There is no gray area. We cover our sin, and what does it say when we cover our sins? How? We lie. Oh, this is hard. Some of you are squirming right now. I can see it. Ooh. We tell others, we're walking in the light, but really we're walking in darkness. We want everybody to think, oh, we're so spiritual. We quote scripture. We throw scripture out around people. We walk. Yeah, amen, brother. Woo! But we're walking in darkness. We're walking in darkness. We have unconfessed sin. Our lives are a shamble. We live in darkness. And remember, we're Sunday saints and Monday ain'ts. We even convince ourselves that everything's okay. And our relationship with the Lord is on good terms. We lie to ourselves because we're not practicing the truth. Our life is not real. You know, it's hard to keep lying because you forget who you told what to, <laughs> you know, and you get trapped up to the lie. The saddest thing about lies is if you tell it enough, you end up believing it's true. You tell the same lie long enough, you end up believing that it is true, and you get trapped in your own lie. But look at the results of walking in the light. Verse 7, but there's that word changes everything, changes direction of the entire thing. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. We have fellowship one to another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin as we're walking in the light. This is the application walking in the light. The but here changes direction. What does this mean? It means walk in obedience without harboring sin, not resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit on a particular point. John is not coming down on you here. John is encouraging you. He said, this can happen. This is possible. The real life in Jesus Christ is a possibility in your life. It's a possibility. John is encouraging you again to walk again. Walking implies what? Action. It implies action. This walk is possible. We can walk in this life and we can have true experience as we walk in this light. It's beautiful because in the context of the Greek, this cleansing is continual cleansing. That's what the contact means. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one to another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from sin. You are a sure hope.
0: Our time with you has come to an end today on A Sure Hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of First John. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more information. Perhaps you prefer email. If so, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for a link on our website at com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of First John. We look forward to the next time as Pastor Dave will share more things that God has put on his heart from this New Testament letter. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and be reminded of God and that He is a sure hope.